okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask him how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Lord Rope Base Snatch and Tax. Half time on Mr. Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures up seven. <clears throat> wow. They were uh, down all last night, but now they're up seven. <clears throat> NASDAQ Futures down 17. Dow Futures down 80. I'm sorry, up 17. Dow Futures up 80 after a brutal afternoon yesterday, as in brutal after the Fed announcement, after the uh, the uh, news conference. Mr. Lou, how are you? Good morning, sir. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing well. Well, good. You're, you're back. You made it back. I did. I, uh, I had a very nice uh, eight-day trip through Central Europe, mostly uh, the eastern part of it, Czechoslovakia, Germany, and um, I, I, can, I don't want to turn this into a travelogue, but, you know, it, it was a fascinating part, uh, visit to a place that I, part of the, of the world I had not been, and, and Eastern Europe is, and, and even today, remains dramatically different than, than the Europe that developed uh, on the western side of the Iron Curtain. Uh, I, actually, I can't imagine, but I, I'm sure you're right. I, I would think it would be, they have not exactly caught up. I know one of my, uh, it wasn't one of my friends, but an acquaintance from uh, Notre Dame ended up, his wife died young, some nasty disease, so he marries this Polish lady from eastern Poland, and uh, he ended up, years ago, I mean, he's got a few bucks, he sent them, they lost their whole beet crop with some nasty rain or something, so he sent them like two grand, and it was enough beet seed for everybody to replant, the guy was like a town hero, I mean, uh, nowhere near something you'd expect in like Frankfurt or someplace. No, it, it's um, it, it's getting better, and it's it's they're 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 closing the gap. I mean, certain places are are almost indistinguishable, but uh, when you go from uh, East Berlin into West Berlin and then back again, you can see uh, some of the differences. The the Germans in, in sort of typical German style um, have have. Poured a lot of resources into refurbishing and, and fixing up the uh, you know what what the Russians didn't didn't touch or prevented people from touching during the uh, during the occupation. Um, I, I got you know an earful from a number of people that we talked to there about how much better it was. They they sort of look now. I, I think the you know thirty years after the event, I think everybody's kind of settling into the fact that, that, you know, Germany is Germany again. At the time of the separation, of course, the West Germans looked down on the East Germans as as basically being people who, you know, had been living under this state system that, that rewarded incompetence and lazy I'm, I'm generalizing obviously, but this this was this was the the perception. It rewarded sloppiness and poor work and and laziness and, and general incompetence. But I think that's all gone now, uh, or at least mostly gone. Um, they they tend to look at some of the relics from East Germany with a certain amount of uh, of humor. Uh, when we were driving through Berlin 
we saw a uh, a car dealership called Trabi World, which is the repository of probably the worst, one of the worst cars ever made, the Travat. <laughs> oh, God. Um, an East German manufactured car that had a two-cycle engine. <laughs> God. Which, which, you know, we typically see on lawnmowers and, uh, or snowblowers. And um, it had a, it had 76 horsepower. And, and there was a car lot full of these things. It wasn't a big car lot. And, and they rent them out for, for, you know, weddings and stuff like that. So you can drive around in, in an old piece of communism. And, uh, when we were, we were walking over by, uh, by the Brandenburg Gate. And the, the Brandenburg Gate is, is almost exactly up against the wall. The Brandenburg Gate's on the east side of, of, uh, the wall. And, uh, you know, it, it, right in front of it is where, uh, is where Reagan made his famous speech on right. the west side of the wall. Mr., you know, Mr. Gorbachev turned down the wall. But we were walking by, by Brandenburg Gate, and, and here come around the traffic circle, here come about uh, 15 of these, tra- these travats, you know, just, and they sound, they sound like snowblowers. It doesn't sound like a car. <laughs> and there's, there's, you know, all kinds of, of exhaust pouring out of the back because it's a two-cycle engine, which means you put the oil in with the gasoline because there's no there's no oil. Right, it's a, oh, it's a two-cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they must make. Pardon me? It's a two-cycle, like an outboard. <laughs> yeah, like an outboard, like an outboard motor. Yeah. Or a, like I said, a snowblower or a lawnmower, and and so that you know, there's clouds of of smoke coming out of the back <laughs> the back of these things. And it was it was some party or some fraternity or something or some soccer team, uh, you know, just out having a good time driving these things around. But it it I, I think I think it's a sort of a very healthy um, a very healthy look at this. Although you know, again, we 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 ran into some bitterness. I, I one of the one of the guides that we were using to uh, to walk us around through. Uh, um, Meissen, the old, the old German uh, porcelain factory town, in which which still manufactures fantastic stuff. She just offhandedly remarked that nobody in the West really understood how prevalent the secret police were in East Germany. And I, I said, yeah, I'd heard something that that there was there were a large number of people informing, and she said something like half the country was a Stasi informer. <laughs> and she said when I. When I got my, we were able to get the records from Stav from once the the country was unified. You were able to look at those files, and she had been a student newspaper editor in her junior high and high school. And there was a there was a file on her about two inches thick, starting when she was fourteen. And and they had, you know, they had monitored her. They had had neighbors inform on her. They had tracked her, and and I mean just. I mean, to, to to us, that's crazy, but but that's that's the way they operated there, and it wasn't uncommon. I mean, in, in fact, it became something of a of a badge of honor to be in the Stasi system with a file, you know, as somebody who was being watched. And and I, I think they've managed to come to grips with the fact that again, about half the half of East Germany was an informer on the other half of East Germany at some time or another. Well, it's a uh Anyway, it's it's you know you you ended up reading that book I never did the one about where did where did all the the uh, 
you know the the secret police and the and the those and the uh, a lot of the Nazi, but the, the informers and the Gestapo and those people where they all come from. A lot of them, they all came from just like regular people, I and mean, a lot of them were policemen, right? I mean, uh, what did what? So when when uh, World War Two ended, you had all kinds of mostly French women, you know, getting head shaved and all kinds of stuff because they were Nazi collaborators. Uh, when all of a sudden East Germany became unified with the West, there was no retribution on these people telling on telling on their neighbors. Not. No, not not to the extent that you and I would have expected it. Um, That's well. Uh, it may be it may be that the culture is just so well regulated or or so um, so so rule following that you know they they just everybody just said okay fine that's what happened nobody nobody over here in the West is is going to be able to accuse you because we don't know what what it was like over here. Um, Everybody in the East looked around and said, "Well, there were so many of us that you really couldn't retaliate. You really couldn't retaliate against selected, selected individuals." But well, I'd be miffed. I, if, uh, I just think. I just. I just think. I, I think, Chief, there was a very wide spread acknowledgement that this was a necessary thing if you wanted to live, if you wanted your kids to be able to to, to go to, to a good college, if if you wanted to be able to move to another town to get a better job. You had to play ball with the state, the state entity, and uh, it, it's it was a little chilling to hear the discussion about this, because of course you know there are there are similarities in our in our society right now, although although not not obviously not to the same to the same degree, but you know you and I have talked about the the, the fascist oh, yeah. elements. In, in in woke culture or other types of culture, I mean, it was it was McCarthy and it was McCarthyism in the fifties. It's it's woke culture now. Well, it's never going to leave. Where, it's, it's, you know, the, state, the state doesn't have to the state doesn't have to come in and do anything. The the private sector will act for the state in uh, in enforcing uh, certain things to happen. Which is, uh, but I mean, if I was, uh, I mean, we we love Mr. Weber, but if you and I started reading our own. Our, our four-inch file, and we find out that Mr. Weber's our next-door neighbor, and he's neighbor. He's been he's been picking up the phone and, and telling on me every time I have a cookout. I'm not going to be real happy next time I see him. Just saying. Uh, no, but 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 if if you and I, you know, it would be quite likely, Chief, that you and I would have somebody in our families who would have who would have done the same thing, even if we were not. Well, can everybody tell um, on everybody else? I mean, it's like, it's like, what's what's yeah, the point of everybody I mean, telling us? Everybody's telling on everybody. I mean, what's the? He had a cookout. No, you had a cookout. Like, what? What? What the hell? What kind of information is that? Oh no! Oh no! I I I know. But it it apparently was very much like that. I mean, God. the the and, and again the, the the insidious aspect of this is that the the fact that you were informing, you know, it wasn't that you necessarily got your neighbor in trouble. It was that you were showing your bona fides. To, and, and that you were a you were a tribal member and a, and a party member and, a, and a, a believer in the system, and the fact that you had done this would make you subject to whatever blackmail or pressure the authorities could put on you at a later date, even if they didn't have to. So, I'm so it, I mean, it, it, it was this incredible example, very pernicious, insidious example of virtue signaling. That was happening in in lots of Eastern Europe, but it, it apparently really 
really took off in uh, in East Germany. Well, uh, you ask um, pretty interesting questions of all these people. Maybe not the same ones I would have asked, but I I understand that in East, Eastern Poland, I've read stuff and people have sent it to me that uh, the, a lot of the mortgages are denominated in uh, <coughs> Swiss francs. So as the Swiss franc has gone up vis-a-vis the euro, it's caused some real problem. What is? Did you get in any economic discussions? Is inflation hitting any of these people? Any of them have bonds that are no good? To, um, are their mortgages no good because they're denominated in, in Swiss francs? I mean, what? What is there any economic pickup you uh, you can kind of let us in on? Well, the biggest the biggest economic pickup that I that I heard discussed and, and talked to these folks about was the impact of of the incredibly stupid. And, I, and I, I heard a lot of positives about Angela Merkel, and I, I don't understand why. But, but maybe they'll, maybe they'll start rethinking it when the, when the temp- they have to set the temperatures in their apartments to, uh, to 13 degrees centigrade. Um, I heard a lot of discussion about, about inflation and a lot of discussion about energy and, and the fear of what is happening. I mean, I mean to, to give you an example, Meissen, the Meissen porcelain factory is a masterpiece operation in, in which every piece of the porcelain is hand decorated there are no there are no uh, machines in that factory that um, that decorate these these incredibly delicate pieces of porcelain that they manufacture there they use a ton of energy for their furnaces and and they are they were actually talking about starting to shut that thing down and this is a factory that's been in operation since the early 1700s and and they they were just just you know saying economically we can't we can't go so they don't have any a number of glass factories in Czechoslovakia we, we were in Prague for a couple of days a number of glass facilities in Czechoslovakia are laying people off because they can't uh, they can't afford the the price of, of energy, get natural gas or or whatever for their uh, for their their manufacturing. So they can't even. And this, so they don't I have like a nuke or a. Story. I think this is one of the big stories you're going to see in Europe and not just Eastern Europe. Um, they they are the, the Germans particularly because of their their foolishness in shutting their nukes down when when they didn't have to, are are going to be paying a huge price in the winter. And and this of course is what. You know, I talked about Vladimir Putin is, is relying on in terms of support for Ukraine, but but that that was on everybody's mind. How are we going to heat? Lou, when you say uh, how are our factories going to stay open? When you say uh, shut the nukes down, are they mothballed or are they torn down? Um, they they were mothballed initially, and then the, some of them have started to get dismantled. So there's discussion in Germany about. Bringing them back online, but it's not—it's not a you know one of these things where you walk in and spend a week you know cleaning the dials and everything comes back up. They've you know they've pulled the fuel out of them. They've they've dispersed that. They've, they've got to they've got to get all that pulled together again. And in the meantime, and this this was a surprise. You know you we don't we don't really have an understanding of how the Germans and the Swiss. And the Austrians and and uh, a number of other European countries integrate um, with nature. You know, you you find people in Germany 
um, on walking trails and biking trails and you know every forest has a, a you know a well organized hiking system and biking system in place um, there's a tremendous facility with with nature I mean every every one of the people we talk to you know how do you what are you, you going to do on the weekend? Oh, we're going for we're going camping, or we're going to go for a hike, or we're going to take the bikes and go up into the mountains and 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 pedal through whatever. And what is happening now, in, even in these countries with this kind of affinity for the you know for nature, is that they are cutting their forests down for fuel. Yeah. Um, you are you are seeing the Germans now going into some of these old growth forests that they've got and taking trees down. Uh, in, in fairly, you know, I mean, in what you would consider, you know, I would consider to be just straightforward logging operations. But they're not doing it for paper. They're doing it for firewood. And, and it, it's not, it's not huge. It's not, it's not, you know, 50, uh, 50% or 60% of the country. But they are, they are burning, they are burning wood and they are burning coal now for, for energy. And the estimates are that's going to get a lot more pronounced as as winter comes in. Well, I don't. Uh, this is probably more of a Carl question, but if you put up a modern coal plant, I mean, sure as hell not going to be as clean as as uh, you know uh, sun or, or wind or anything like that. But it's got to be one hell of a lot cleaner than an old old coal plant. I mean. Uh, Oh yeah, but but how long? They're not. They can't throw up a, a new coal plant or a, no. a, a uh, an eco-friendly coal plant in six months. Well, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the the uh, engineering of it, but I mean, the ones here in Chicago, they tore down. There was a there was a number to bring them up to code. Uh, I mean, if you if you thought you weren't going to have any natural gas, maybe you would have paid the eighty or hundred million to redo the old coal plant. I mean, I guess my point. I, but once it's down, you really can't do much. What you speak? No, and, uh, and you speak Russian and English. I mean, Did you, are, uh, were you able to sorry, wander? So you you speak Russian and English. Were you able to wander through these areas and talk to everybody pretty well? Um, I I wasn't I wasn't speaking very much Russian in East Germany. I promise oh, no, you that. No, um, they were not they were not a fan of it in Czechoslovakia. The um, the people around me were were at least interested that I could speak Russian. Uh, I chatted with a few people about it, uh, but but they were much happier to be using English. Okay. And and I, I will say this, the, the people in Eastern Europe seem to be a lot more interested in U.S. support and U.S., sort of the U.S. umbrella uh, over NATO. Uh, than than the folks I was working with, say in Italy, um, yeah, but there's yeah, a real here. appreciation, you know, in in Czechoslovakia and the eastern parts of Germany and 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 in that area for the U.S. military umbrella and de- and defense shield because you know they're closer to Russia. Yeah, they have a within their living memory uh, the Russian occupation and and the brutal nature of uh, of Soviet. You know Soviet activities there, especially in Czechoslovakia after the after the uh, put down of the of the uh, Czech Spring in 1968. Um, well, are they ready? Are they ready for the uh, a whole bunch of of Russian refugees because nobody wants to be drafted in the army? I was reading about that last night. What's that all about? Uh, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting take. What they're what they are processing a lot of is Ukrainian refugees. 
And, you know, the, the, the people coming from Ukraine that are leaving are typically not the kind of people that, for example, from a, the same kind of economic class or education class that, for example, we would see on our southern border in, in terms of, of people coming from Mexico and Central America. These are, in many cases, people from professional classes um, who, are, who are not leaving for better economic opportunity. They're leaving because, because their houses have been blown up, because there's a threat that the, that the Russians will go nuclear, you know. So, so you're getting a completely different kind of, of refugee, uh, there. It's, these, these are not economic refugees. These are, in many cases, people who are, are perfectly capable of, you know, making, you know, immediate contributions to, to their societies in terms of, you know, the kind of, I don't know, high end, high end work that you would, uh, that you would you would want to establish. Well, the actually, question, of course, now is: Are there going to be jobs for them if they want to relocate because of what's what's happening with their energy sector? Uh, that's a problem. I, Angelica's uh, managed to get her her mother over here from Ukraine. I I think Lou, although I haven't had a chance to talk to her, I think she might have come through Poland, but I'm not sure. Yeah, Poland Poland's absorbed a, a ton of it. Um, the Czechoslovakia, Hungary uh, have absorbed a lot, but they're they're trying to move them, obviously, so that nobody, no one country is bearing the, the brunt of this. They're trying to move them further into uh, you know into Europe. Um, I know we've got coming across our southern border. We we have we have Ukrainians now and Eastern Europeans leaving the, the conflict zone who are are coming across our southern border. Although I don't know in in what kind of in what kind of numbers. What this will we can segue in before the break into a discussion about what's about to happen in Ukraine with the Russian mobilization yeah, yeah. that was announced uh, what yesterday. Well, the start with start with how, how bad are they but, losing? Um, so, so right now the reports are that, that, that Russian morale, troop morale, is is in the tank. Um, they are uh, they feel a lot of the troops in the field feel they've been basically abandoned. There's no clear. They have they have terrible leadership with their with their officer corps, um, and and you know they don't like a lot of like a lot of other armies. They don't fight like we do. Um, we operate with a very very professional and well educated uh, NCO uh, group. At least we did. I don't know what the DEI emphasis in the military has done to that that cohort, but but traditionally we have we have worked with a very professional NCO corps that, you know, buffers the st- stupidity of the officers <laughs> from, <laughs> from the enlisted men, you know, the junior enlisted. But those guys are the guys that, you know, are the, are the tactical experts and the, you know, the guys controlling a lot of what goes on in the field along with their junior officers. The Russian system does not, does not promote this and doesn't operate this way. It's a very top-down kind of, of operation. And um, when you when you eliminate the people giving directions, or you frustrate their ability to, to control their, their forces, things fall apart in a hurry. And and there's, it's not a it's not a system that promotes initiative. Um, you throw into the mix the the antiquated equipment. You throw in with poor tactics the antiquated equipment, the the sort of lack of a of a strategic. Um, Plan at least for the military. I think I think Putin's got a very clear strategic plan. I think his goal is to keep some kind of pressure on Ukraine 
um, combat pressure on Ukraine, but wait for winter, because he knows that the minute the minute the Western weapons spigot gets turned off, Ukraine can't fight. And and even as as much help as we're giving them in terms of just you know advice and how valiantly their their people have have conducted themselves, they're taking a lot of casualties, and um, they, you know they're they're inflicting a much greater number on the Russians, but they're taking a lot of casualties, and they can't they can't take the casualties that, that the Russians can take. So you know um, Putin's just basically sitting here saying, look, I'm guessing. You know, he's doing he's doing what every every dictator always does. It it, it underestimates or it, it estimates the the will, the fighting will of a liberal democracy to be much less than the will of of his own country. And so he's figuring that the that Western Europe's going to roll over and, and and stop supporting Ukraine once he turns the gas off and it gets cold. Um, I mean, I don't I don't know that this. That, that could happen. One thing I do know is that our energy policy with this administration has made it immensely more difficult for the Europeans to take a hard stand here because we are not, you know, we cannot fill the gap. We're not set to fill the gap. You know, the lack of investment in our, in our system that, that this administration has encouraged in our production capacity and, and everything else has had a, a direct impact on our ability to influence these events. And Putin knows this too, and so you know we we are we're in a situation where you know we want to tell the Europeans, hey, hey, well, stay, I mean, stay the course in terms you know, of uh, keep fighting, keep keep supplying, but you can't, you, well, we can't help you with what you're about to face. Well, in, in terms of, uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue, especially before the break, regarding the administration's will or lack thereof when it comes to this, but I will say in, in full numbers. No matter what they did, for two years, the energy area was reeling from the oil, and this was not Trump's fault, oil going down to $28 a barrel when the Saudis and the Russians decided to flood the market a little bit. That's what caused our industry, in terms of barrels per day, way more problems than the current administration. However, I will agree with you that their attitude has caused our ramp-up to be less than it normally would be. I think it's probably the fair assessment, but... No matter who you put in there, you could you could have put in uh, you know Mickey Mickey Oil in the, in, the, in the government, and you still were, were having a ramp up problem because of when three or four years ago when the oil was down to twenty eight bucks, that was the, your 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 rig count was down to like two something. So yeah, even, I, I I I will agree with you to only a very small extent. I figured. I, yeah. I think I think this administration bears much. I would say that they. All right. After the break, we'll continue. This SP futures. Now down 12, Nasdaq futures down 57. So much for being up. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. 
Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands. But you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Alley, just from Matt Weber on the board. Matty, I got a big graph here where I get to stump the loo. I love it when I can do that once a, once a year. You know, <laughs> it's not very often. It's not easy to do. No, it is not easy to do. That's why it's such a great challenge. SP futures down 11, NASDAQ futures down 51, Dow futures down 15. Uh, nothing crazy going on in the, in the Dow, just everything. We've got a few up, a few down. McDonald's up 92 cents. Uh, Salesforce up 377. That's what's keeping the Dow looking better than the rest. Like I said all last night, uh, last night it was down. This morning we came in, everything was up, and now we're going the other way. It was uh, Yesterday was a brutal day. DAX down 105.8%, FTSE down 24.3%, CAC around down 69, 1.1%. Uh, over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei down 159.6%, Shanghai down 8, that's 0.8%. Hang Seng again down 296, 1.6%. This thing is relentless. It's down 18,147. I don't know how low, I don't know when I've seen it that low. It might have been that low in June, but boy, uh, it's getting getting down there. Yesterday, for way of review, Dow down 522, S&P down 66, NASDAQ down 204. I'm going to say we were positive at 215. This all happened in the last 45 minutes, just like a, a tidal wave or a tsunami or something. Uh, bonds up 5 basis points, 3.56. The bond up 1 basis point, 1.90. Japan unchanged at 0.25. Uh, uh, UK, which had come out with a 0.5% increase today, uh, they're, they're up 10 basis points at 3.42. So they're roughly right where we are. Um, oil up 70 cents, 83.64. Brent up 66 cents, 90.49. Natural gas down 12 cents, 7.65. So it's way down on natural gas. Uh, gold is down 130, 16.74. Silver up 6 cents, 19.54. Copper down up 2 cents, 3.49. Uh, we have Bitcoin down 45 bucks at 19,096. Uh, so people are starting to think that maybe Bitcoin might be the next thing to fall here. Right? Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. At least not. At least not crazy. Uh, big story yesterday was a dollar. Uh, Euro dollar is now under 99 cents. It's 98.67 against the dollar, um, even though it's actually up today. It was really a, a hammer. Yesterday was a very unusual day. Dollar was way up and gold was up as well. You don't see that too often. Uh, we have the British pound is now under 113. So again, the, the dollar continues to go flying high compared to these things. We're talking half percent, one percent a day. That's a lot. 
I'm Eddie with the F4's Trevi Weather Sports. 37 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We have one crash in the area on the expressways, at least, and that's on I-55, the outbound Stevenson just before Weber Road, which is exit 263. There's a crash blocking the left lane that's causing uh, significant delays up to 20 minutes or so as you're navigating around that. It's also affecting the inbound side due to gapers. So uh, down in Bolingbrook, southwest suburbs, I-55, not looking great due to that crash on the left lane of the southbound side just before Weber Road. That's our only crash in the area on the expressways. No issues if you're coming in on the Ryan, I-57, or the Bishop Ford. Further inbound on the Stevenson, Looks okay. Same for the Eisenhower. Northside Expressways. Traffic volumes are starting to build, but no accidents to report. Off the expressways, there's a crash on North Avenue at Glen Ellen Road in the western suburbs. And then uh, north of there, there's a crash uh, Route 22 at Quentin Road. Uh, But everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, uh, if you may have noticed, uh, the temperatures dropped by about 20 degrees uh, overnight last night. And instead of being in the 80s like we've been for the last several weeks, we'll be in the 60s for the next couple of days before we warm back up this weekend into the mid-70s. Today, partly cloudy skies, a high of just 63. Right now, it is clear and 56 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy skies with a high of 95, and that's where they're at right now. So it'll stay right there in the mid-90s down in Phoenix today. In sports, the White Sox are basically done now, Chief. After dropping the first two games to Cleveland, uh, losing last night 8-2, to Sox are now six games back with 13 to play. So they basically have to go 13-0 and here, and they need Cleveland to play like 500 ball or less. <laughs> and that's the their only chance. Well, they sure have to win the night just to get anything started. Yeah, so I would say they're pretty much done. But uh, you never know. Six back with 13 to play. Cubs beat the Marlins uh, with a one-run rally in the seventh and then three more in the eighth. The Cubs were down 3-0. They stormed back to beat the Marlins 4-3. Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers 6-1. Thursday night football kicks off tonight on Amazon Prime. Uh, It'll be the Steelers at the Browns. That's a 7-15 central time kickoff. And uh, there's some college football tonight as well. 2-1 Illinois is back in action tonight on the Big Ten Network. They'll host Chattanooga who is apparently undefeated uh, tonight, 7.30 kickoff down in Champaign. Chief. The Cubs scored three in the eighth inning without a hit. That's hard to do. Yeah. They had a, oh, they had a walk. They had a hit, hit batsman. I don't know. What's, what's on, and somebody, it was I saw field, the last run was a sack fly. It was a fielder's choice. Uh, where, where Morrell came in from third. With, they uh, they tried to cut him down at the plate, and they didn't. And then uh, then it was a sack fly. Somebody else scored in the middle doing something. Yeah, it was three runs without a hit. Wow. The uh, So the Sacks, uh, how would you like to have been the sweatshirt salesman last night when it dropped 20 degrees in about the fifth inning? <laughs> I, and, yeah, if you weren't prepared, I'm assuming that people were buying sweatshirts, blankets, whatever. They or could leaving. Put their hands on. Or leaving, yes, yeah, especially when they were already down 8-1 or whatever it was. So, uh, Lou, I have a uh, – when I say stump the Lou, I, sometimes um, you, you – and I'm not saying you're doing this, but you can – Take the rhetoric from some of these politicians and actually believe what they're saying vis-a-vis the actual, uh, what's going, what's actually going on. It's, it troubles me when I watch them talking and I see the, the world going the exact opposite direction. But in terms of the oil situation, and, and I would, I'm 100% agree with you, uh, the Republican approach to this versus the, the woke approach to this. I won't even say the Democrat because I guess I still consider myself moderate Democrat, but I might be the only one. I would not, I would not, I don't like their energy policy at all. But 
the actual facts are when Trump took office in January of uh, 17 we had 683 of these big oil rigs and like you said they, they made it up to like 1,077 at the end of 2018 and we had the problem at uh, well, going way down, Saudis allegedly conspiring with the Russians and all that kind of crap, and some of the, to break our frackers. Well, by the end of 2020, when Trump was still in office, we were down to 250 of these things. So the, the huge carnage in the industry took place in Trump's last two years, and now we're back up to 738. Now, I'm not going to... I'm not going to say we're up because of Biden, because I, I think we're up just because this industry, if you go all the way back to 73, that's what they do. They have a whole bunch of them. Yeah, but, yes, but, that's, but that's, that's only a small part of the, of the issue. I, the, big, the, big issue, the big issue is shipping it and refining it. And, I, and we, have, we have blown up. I, I never said these is, guys were friendly. This is a result, of, again, of, of the Biden people saying, you know, we're not going to, we're going to, end this industry as we know it we have blown up our refining capability and and so we may have more rigs working on this but our ability to extract or uh, to uh, process it is way down and I, 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 I again I, I pin that on this administration I can argue with you on the attitude of the administration what I'm saying is the damage happened in 2020 when the prices were $28 a barrel that that some of that was happening. I agree that with respect to the rigs, I don't agree with respect to the refining. Well, it capacity. buried the crack. The, the frackers at twenty eight bucks. I mean, all the all the all the the plans to do fracking in southern Illinois, northeast Ohio, all those places were absolutely scrubbed long before anybody dreamed of Biden being president. Oh, I know, I, I understand that. I understand that, but that's not that's that's only a small part of the problem. The the, the drilling, the drilling. Well, first of all, the drilling permits are, are were held up. By, um, by the uh, folks in, in uh, shoot, I dumped the name of it now. Whatever the whatever the federal land management group is, they were holding up the the permits for that for without Trump having anything to do with it. But but the real the other part of that that equation is not the drilling; it's the refining. And and this administration has presided over the complete dismantlement of our refining capability. How many refineries have and, shut down? So I mean, we, can, we, can drill, we can drill as much as we want. If we can't turn that stuff into, into gas and, and extract the natural gas properly, we've got, we've got problems. Well, I, I, I'm with you on the, the, the dumb message out of the administration is we need oil, all the oil to give me for like two years, but then I'm going to shut you down. That's kind of an odd message. Well, no, they didn't just do that. They, they slow rolled, they, they dramatically increased the slow roll of permits for, for drilling, they stopped the processing of, of leases. They they basically shut down the ability or, or shut down the exploration incentive and sent that was the that was the tangent of the the uh, regulatory uh, impact. And then they sent a very clear message that you know if you want to have one of these oil refineries out there that that's uh, you know you're not going to have product for it and you'd be better off converting that into something else and we'll throw money at you to do that. Well, how many refineries? I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's been a it's been a policy it's been a policy aimed literally at at decarbonizing through through economic incentives and regulatory shutdown, decarbonizing the economy without the mechanisms in place to to uh, back up the loss of energy. And it's it's one of one of the topics I had written down to talk about today was 
was what we think is going to happen and what, what the economists are projecting for what's going to happen this winter when, when gas is going to spike again because we can't pull any more money out of our strategic petroleum reserve. Uh, gas is going to spike again and, and energy costs are going to, going to climb dramatically because we have not, we, we tried to push this kind of ideological move on our, our environmental uh, area without adequate backup or without thinking through how we were going to replace that lost energy. Well, we don't, we don't think anything through. It's the, 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 the goal ought to be, in my opinion, as in one man's opinion, would I like to be cleaner with some less carbon? Yeah, going forward. But the goal should be that as a national defense, as a strength for us and our allies, we need to be very energy efficient or energy rich, shall we say. And over periods of time, if some of that or all of it or whatever becomes cleaner as we go along the way, I don't think anybody is, is against that. But the point is, no, you I'm not. You can't. I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in favor of getting off of fossil fuels and burning stuff. I'm, I'm all in favor of it. But I'm in favor of it in a way that doesn't wreck the economy and right. doesn't have the kind of impact that we're going to see on our poor and our middle class this winter. Well, and the idea that we can, we can have all our aircraft carriers are nuclear, yet we can't have a nuclear power plant is, is insane to me. Well, one's driving around on the ocean where people are going to shoot at it, and the other one's sitting right there. Well, it's, how, how can it not be safe, Lou, if we use our heads? I mean, let, 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 me, let me give you Michael Schellenberger, who I've quoted several times in the program, and who I think has a very good handle on, on energy politics, because he was, a, he was a former Greenpeace official. But he said the real reason that the, the Greens are opposed to nuclear power is because there's no social agenda and, and, and social control associated with with the development of nuclear energy. You simply swap out coal plants and your your fossil fuel plants for nukes, and 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 the power structure remains basically the same. For the Greens, this is unacceptable. They want control over what people are doing in the economy and how people are doing it, and nukes don't. And nuclear energy development does not give them that and so his his position and i I'm, I'm coming to accept this his position is that the reason you see greens opposed to nuclear energy because there's no good reason right now to to oppose it uh the greens opposition to nuclear energy is is pure you know whose whose rice bowl gets filled and and they want their rice bowl filled well we have this and, and well you just said i i you're coming at it from a ideological somewhat point of view but you know what <laughs> you're right but but I don't think it's ideological at all I think it's I think it's money I mean we've had how many iterations here of gambling in Illinois and if you look at it from a, a really weird way like like I sometimes do um, it's all about new people with new money with new politicians that they are paying off that are getting rid of they don't want the old politicians, the Dutchie Schwa, you know, and those guys had the racetracks. You could just as easily have put slot machines in the racetracks. No, no, no. We need we need all new owners. We need new casinos. We need it's and it's like the sports betting, or the or the the betting that's in the uh, restaurants versus the casino, the uh, video poker and stuff. It's not whether you want to put the stuff in there. You're stealing that from the casinos, and now the state is the casino. So it's not like. The, 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 the Pepe's next door to the, the River Casino in Joliet, 
that becomes a little arm of that casino. No, it's different money for different people that now run the state thing. It's all about exactly. shoving this around. It's not. Uh, I, it, it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful thing when your ideology can generate mega bucks for you. Yes, and absolutely. That's, and that's that's what this is. That's what this is doing. And so now you've segued into another topic that I had written down to talk about, and that was the the impact of sports betting, and some numbers that I saw. Andrew Brandt, who is a uh, uh, sports law professor at, um, I think he's at Villanova. He was a former he was a former player personnel director for the Green Bay Packers, and before that, he was a, a NFL agent. Um, but you know, so so throw back now to like 1971 or 72, um, when my father was telling me about Alex Karras and Paul Horning and their suspension for gambling, and was sort of explaining what was going on, and I I was asking him, well, you know, do you, do you think that this was a big risk, and he said, the NFL is death on this stuff. You know, he said, at least they will be death on gambling until they can figure out a way for them to get some of the money. <laughs> no, your dad was and, very, and, very, and within, very, what's within, the word? <laughs> within five years, he was talking about the end, he, he was telling you a story about raising at the, at the annual, you know, every year the NFL would send people to the teams and, and basically tell the players and the coaches about gambling and the evils of gambling. And my, my father put his hand up and said, I have a question. And the, the NFL rep said, go ahead. And my father said, if you guys are so head up about gambling, why is our television contract with CBS, why does it allow Jimmy the Greek Snyder, a notorious gambler, to get on the air and talk about point spreads and betting? Why are we allowing that and promoting that if, in fact, it is such an evil? It seems to me you, you are basically allowing this thing to insert itself into our process in, in, in the terms of our most important contracts. And, and uh, he said, I did not get an answer. You know, the guy said, well, that, that's between the league and the, and the TV broadcast. Little the league. now, I, I just, this, this number from Brant's, Brant's, uh, column is pretty interesting. 18% of the United States, of, of every person in the United States, 18% is going to bet on the NFL game this year. 50 some odd of million people. Well, that, maybe, maybe, that is maybe, an incredible number. Maybe 10 bucks. I mean, who, I, mean I, I don't know how much of that is. I mean, but you, if you look around the entire. But if, but if you're, but if you're, but if you're the NFL, if you're the NFL, this is like the greatest marketing tool in the well, world. Sure it is. I mean, if you, I mean, all the stuff about all the all the, the the stuff about gambling. You know, this this is you know your idiot. Now this is where where the reverse of what you and I talked about. Your ideology is not generating money for you. Your ideology is costing you money, and so you know the ideology falls by the wayside. What the you, principle falls by the wayside because the the NFL has discovered that that one of the the biggest factors in terms of viewership. Was was sports gambling in the form of fantasy football, and and I, I remember Matty and and, and uh, I talking about this on the air maybe uh, eight or nine years ago about about how fantasy football was responsible for dramatic growth in NFL viewership, and and now with sports gambling, it's it's even gotten more more. Well, it's, it was always if you depending on where you looked. Okay, now the sport the fantasy football has set a new level, but. Depending on where you looked, if you walked into the Tripoli on a Sunday, 
I'm going to say 15 years ago, maybe somewhere in there, you'd, you'd uh, walk in and you'd see they had the NFL Network and they got six or seven TVs. They got a couple of big ones, but all these side TVs, you know, with these other, you know, Jacksonville's playing, you know, God knows who, Atlanta. I mean, who gives a bleep, really? I mean, if you're a Bear fan, you care about the Bears and maybe somebody in the division. And all of a sudden you'd see like 10 guys or eight guys, you know, perched around that TV. And there's another TV with some other useless game on. And there's 10 guys perched around that TV. Well, it didn't take too long for you to figure out all these guys had money on that game. So, I mean, the, the NFL has, has driven the gambling. It's, you know, I, I, I'm not really, well, I, I like baseball enough to maybe I would watch the Mets play, the you know, somebody. But the, most people are not going to do that unless they got money on the Mets. So the trick to get these other games, other than the home team on, is to get people's essentially skin in the game, which is like it. But then the fantasy football, I don't think they even dreamed of that. And that was like a gold mine for them. But still, it's, it's, but if you look at how the money flows around, uh, it's not like your, your bookie, his layoff was a casino in Vegas, right? So the casinos in Vegas made a fortune on the layoffs in the bookies. Now, the bookies have essentially been put out of business. I mean, FanDuel is nothing more than a bookie, correct? I mean, so, so now, right. you, now, but now you can, you've essentially legalized this. But the, at the far end of the chain... You still, when you come down to it, especially in an inflationary environment, environment, people only have a certain amount of dough. I mean, I'm going to say, without going into anybody's personal business, Maddie is, is pretty good at this stuff, but I'm going to say that uh, he's not afraid to tell his wife, my gambling budget a week is 150 bucks. I mean, he's not going to tell her it's two grand. It's our, it's our entire nest egg, I don't think. Maddie's too good of a guy for that. But there are people, when you come right down to it, Lou, people have a gambling whatever. So you're going to bet on the game because you're too lazy to go to the track. You're too lazy to go to the barber shop and put a bet the tracks on tracks have all been closed. Yeah, tra- I'm saying they're all closed. <laughs> That's so, exactly right. Good luck on that. But I'm saying, all, but all you're doing is piggy moving it up to the next guy, which I think is what your your point is. You think the casinos in Vegas are happy with FanDuel? And what do you suppose they're No, bu- they're not. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and this the, the point is that, that you know, the, the, these sports betting agencies like FanDuel and the others, MGM and, and the rest, you know, they're they're a pipeline to the NFL. Well, sure, they're, they're a pipeline to these clubs. So so now the NFL takes can take an ownership stock in in actual gambling operations, even as it penalizes its players and coaches for even remotely associating with this stuff. It is it is taking a huge stake in this, and and it ain't just the NFL. If you look at college football and what's happening there. I think a huge part of this consolidation and, and the 12-team playoff is is the result of the kind of sports book that is developing around college I, football I abs- now. And, and Brent... Sorry, go ahead. I was saying, serious, serious, serious question. Not that these other ones aren't. Um, I have a... A guy, uh, a client of mine who happens you to You know be- a guy who knows a guy? We're back to that classic Chicago yeah. line. Just remember the best Chicago line ever, Lou. We don't want nobody. No, we don't want nobody. Nobody yeah, sent. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I have a client who just happens to be a former baseball player. Just happens to be a Hall of Famer, right? So I've, I've, I talk to a guy all the time, but I've never met him. And I said, okay, what? Well, let me know if you're going. He's associated with some team. I said, let me know if you're going to some away game, and if I can get there, I'll meet you, and we'll have breakfast before the game or something. We've been talking forever. I want to put a face together, and. uh he says, well, I, I can't go to any games. <laughs> what are you talking about? He goes, no, I, I can't. I could sit in the, like, the owner's box or the dugout. 
but I'm because I'm listed as like a, I don't know auxiliary coach or something. He's on a spring training and helps guys with their batting and stuff. He goes, I can't I can't sit in the in the field. They must think they're stealing signs or something after after the Houston fiasco. Yet my question to you and Mr. Weber is: We used to worry about people gambling because you can get in trouble and start throwing games. If we start gambling on the pitch, and we have people in the stands, and something with all these useless games like the Cubs and stuff are playing, and uh, what makes you think they don't signal a pitcher that, that they're that, that what they're supposed to throw in the next pitch? Somebody who's not the catcher. What, why we always? Why do we think now that? Our players are absolved from this, and not like in the 20s and 30s when they weren't. Why do we think everybody's all of a sudden gone so straight that it's not a problem? I, I think that I think that's a great a great point, and and I I think that could apply to you know any any sport where you've got the athletes close to the to the fans. I mean, it could happen in basketball. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that's I think that's a reasonable a reasonable question. Um, if you look at college football, uh, the ESPN playoff deal, I think, for college football is like close to half a billion. It's 400 and something million or something like that. But, but they estimate now with the 12 team expanded playoff, they could be looking at 2.2 billion in additional revenue. I think they're going to have a and, and 64 teams. It's all play like 20 games. Kevin was ragging about that yesterday. When these kids there. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I think that's, I think that's right. But I think a huge portion of that is that viewership and that interest is again driven by, by the sports book. Well, and the, and, yeah. and what you know, what's happening with gambling? And if you've got, I, I would suspect that if you know, fifty million people are putting bets on pro football games, you you may have a comparable number, even more, maybe, putting bets on on collegiate games. Oh, I, I would, I would absolutely agree. I, I'm saying, how do we? How do we know it's not going to be all rigged? I mean, that people are not going to. I mean, the, I, I thought you start out with the Karras and uh, Horny thing. I you know more about this than me, but I, I believe, and I tell me I'm wrong, that they were suspended for consorting with gamblers, that they were seen with gamblers. That's correct. And That's I, correct. I, I seem to remember back in the day when you couldn't a, a a player, if you saw him in Caesar's Palace, he was as good as, as suspended, because the, the idea was. If he ran up a debt to Caesars, the way they were going to get it back was by him throwing a game, right? Exactly. So, so but and then all of a sudden, one day I'm out in Vegas and I see John Thompson walk by. Now he's a coach of well, Georgetown. Let me let me and correct you. Henderson. I, my my recollection my recollection now is that there was some they were actually they've been betting on like horses or something. Yeah, it wasn't football. You know? I mean, it was it was, it was something no, else. No, yeah. no, no. So it was that it had to do with. Uh, what if they got in, in hock to these guys, and what, and what would they owe them? It had to do with that. And now, and then all of a sudden, the same night, I see Ricky Henderson walk by, and I'm going, oh, that's cool. You know, so the, all of a sudden, some of this attitude totally changed. Now, it was off-season, and John Thompson, had, you know, it's off-season. So I mean, then it became you could do it in the off-season, then it became. But I don't see how this, I mean, how many, <laughs> we hear, what was it, is it Barkley or somebody? That, I, you know, I shouldn't use the name because I'm not positive, but. How many people have been rumored to have these big debts with these these casinos? Some, sometimes they win a debt and then they win and come out of debt, or they pay it off. And I mean, Lou, what makes everybody think they're not just making this huge cesspool? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't understand I don't understand that while we think that human nature has suddenly changed in the last twenty five years, that we can suddenly allow the insertion of this kind of thing into into sports without. Or with you know somehow some kind of better surveillance to keep it clean. I don't think that's I don't think that's realistic. Well, you're not going you're not going to let a, a, a coach in the stands for he might be stealing signs. I have no idea 
my seats were front, front row upper deck. I don't see how the hell I could ever have stolen a sign. Do you, Maddie? I mean, for God's sake. I mean, I don't care how many binoculars I had. I wasn't going to see up the catcher's crotch, for God's sake, from that day. What angle would you have to be? Plus, now they got the little thingies. Now you can't even do that. Yeah, now you can't even do it. So what, I mean, uh, you can't, but, but I'll tell you what, if I, if I wore a big red hat and sat behind home plate and all of a sudden bet on a ball, I could take my hat off and wing it in the air, and the guy would, that's pretty easy to do, isn't it? Okay, so I, I went back. I went back in and did a quick, quick search online when we were talking. Horning actually admitted to betting on some NFL games. Okay, uh, but never, never against his own team. Um, so uh, that that was that was something. Uh, Karras also placed some bets on the NFL, but but again, never against never against his own team. Uh, Horning Horning plays some big bets, like five you know five hundred bucks on a game, which in nineteen sixty two was that was a lot of money. He, he was kind of a bad boy from day one, but I'm going to say he he could have been one of the greatest athletes ever in the NFL. I mean, he was he could do everything. That guy, supposedly at the at the, at the college the uh, college all star game, whoever was considered the the fastest guy in the NFL raced Horning in a hundred yard dash, and Horning beat him like eight yards or something. Not only to beat him in a 40, yeah. but he, and plus he's a huge guy. Well, Lou, thank you very much, bud. Glad your trip was a success. S&P Futures. Oh, let me let me let me give you let me give you one one good story that I, right. I remember from those days. Karras, after suspension, they go out to the field for the coin toss to start a game, and the, the official asks Karras to call it, and Karras says, "I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to gamble." <laughs> <laughs> S&P Futures. He was a hell of a player. That guy. S&P Futures up seventy five cents. He was he was Iowa, right? That's yes. right. Um, the Futures down 16 so far. We're just kind of hugging the flat line here after yesterday's trouncing. But we'll be right back, Mr. Dan Janinas, to tell us all about this stuff. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold. The idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. 
But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Hello, North Bank Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. We're spending on the board. SP Futures up 75 cents. And NASDAQ Futures down 15. This is after yesterday's carnage in the last 45 uh, minutes. And uh, Dan, how are you? Doing good. How are you? I'm all right, except I'm actually very miffed at myself that yesterday I had this odd feeling all day long that you'd want to be, be short on the close. And I, when, when the announcement came out and we actually ducked to the downside... I thought we'd rally on the news and it would be a big sell. So I actually talked to some of my clients and I said, okay, if this thing rallies on the announcement, maybe we'll try and get short here. And everybody said, go right ahead. So uh, I was kind of had the, you know, the, the gun loaded. And uh, all of a sudden we came down after the announcement. And then we kind of snuck up and then went back to even and then kind of, you know, screwed around there for a while. And then we kind of went back up. It looked like we actually might rally a little bit in the close. Not huge. And all of a sudden, the thing fell apart at, at two thirty, yeah. and I'm like, "Why? Why? Why did we wait until two thirty? By that time, I don't, I don't know. We're pretty quick at getting orders in, Dan, on the security side for sure. Not as good as you on the other side, but I'm going to say that uh, I had no chance. I mean, it, it, it fell apart at two, was it two twenty five? Like, like something it was started going down so fast. I'm going, oh, that keep can't keep going, and, and it did. Where did that? Why did it wait so long? And where did that come from? That, that's a really good question. I was actually thinking the same thing. I mean, because I think initially there was a, you know, my thought, and initially I think there was a, a belief that uh, investors are gaining confidence in the Fed only because they're doing what they say they're going to do, not necessarily because what they're doing is good or bad for the markets, but just that they're kind of following in line with, you know, for example, what Powell was talking about at Jackson Hole, he pretty much repeated uh, 75 uh, basis point hike was the uh, consensus, and that's exactly what happened. So the, initially, I think there was this thought of, uh, hey, you know, we know what they're going to do. They seem to be doing what they say they're going to be doing. And I think the market took that as a, at least neutral, um, you know, so, okay, now we're, we're set. But I think as people read into his comments more, uh, and listen to what he had to say, he, he continued to stress the fact that going forward, their major um, uh, focus is going to be on looking at these reports, the inflation reports, and then responding accordingly. So, as we know, and we talked about this before, the inflation reports, the inflation numbers are old numbers. So there are numbers from, you know, that, that have come from the previous quarter. Um, and they're not necessarily where we stand today. So, so I think in, in there's still a concern that they're going to overshoot, um, and that you know as rates go up, I think the final thing people, you know investors are looking at, especially equity investors. Wait a minute, you know we're at four ten now on the two year. Um, that's not going to be good for especially tech companies. So, 
I felt feel the same way as you. I, I was kind of whips. We were whipsawed. Fortunately, we were buying at the close, and um, we were able to pick up uh, a few things, you know, inexpensively, and then certainly a little bit of the one-year T-bill, which is trading right about the same rate, which is close to four ten. So there, and also um, a stock that we we like again now that it's traded off about twenty percent. We had mentioned the. Uh, Otter tail in the past. Uh, it's a, a utility based in Minnesota. Ticker symbol OTTR. This is a smaller utility focused in the, the Dakotas in Minnesota. Uh, the uh, stock, you know, got as high as eighty-two. We sold quite a bit at eighty-two, and you know, at sixty-eight where it is today, it looks much more attractive. This is an interesting equity, um, an interesting stock because it, there are a there's a huge consensus. Um, not only by, but strong by recommendation by a number of uh, both independent and you know independent uh, research firms, and we know the company. In fact, I'm, I'm going to be in a conference today. I'm meeting with them one on one this morning. Um, so we were buying into the close, and I was very happy that we we waited till right up until the end before we bought because the stock dropped about two points um, during this you know last 45 minutes, as you're saying. But I think it's, it takes time for um, investors to digest not only the words of the, of the Fed um, chair, but I think it also takes time to kind of follow through and see, you know, what impact is this going to have on me? So even though they're doing what they say they're going to do, and even though investors are confident, it's still not good. <laughs> you know, higher rates are not good for the equity market, especially the tech names. Um, and it, I don't think it let, leaves us with uncertainty as much as it leaves us with, hey, we know rates are going to go higher here, you know, whether it's 50 or 75. And, um, you know, three more meetings coming in the next three months, uh, well, coming in November, December, and January, early early November, which is, what, six weeks away. So, you know, this um, idea of front-loading the uh, rate hikes and then letting it, work its way through the system um, has some investors concerned because if you do again doing too much too soon may result in um, you know an over uh, an overreach if you will that's going to cause uh, more economic damage so um, you know it's good for us because um, now we have income <laughs> you know we have ideas yeah. that, that are producing a fair amount of income and and it also gives, I think, investors the opportunity to participate on the short end of the curve. Um, and those rates are only going to go up. So, you know, we see five or six percent in the next few months. It's going to be a buy. You know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a shift out of equities and into you know risk-free rates until we know that the economy is settling down. Well, the 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 damage and everybody got you. The younger the, <laughs> the younger the people are on TV, it seems, the more they're whining about. The Fed's going to overshoot. Yeah. For God's sake, there's, there's still only there's still only three yeah. percent. There's still only three percent. That, that's that's neutral for God's sake. I mean, right. And in the, in the balance sheet, but we have given away, uh, you know, I'll say given away. If you look at the, I'm going to say right before COVID, in uh, in, in February 2020, I've got the spiders at around uh, 338. All right, and they made it up to as we poured. 35-40% money in the economy over that period of time. We made it back to, uh, we made it up to 475. So we're talking 130, so that's what, about 40%? We essentially yeah. pumped, so they, they almost exactly matched. 
even though we had a, we had we went down first after that, we we the, the we started pouring the money and it flew up. Well, now we've given up. We've given up almost a hundred points of that. We're down to three eighty three seventy eight, and we're within really ten percent of where we started the whole the whole mess. Right. You know, and I I guess it if they so the 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 amount they they poured in is now being sort of taken away. But Dan, I, I you know you and I, I think sort of agree the 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 mistake made. I mean, we you can go back to you know seventy eight or something and say. Who to bleep is old enough to remember that other other than us guys, <laughs> you know, type of thing? Right. And, and, and you can you can sort of forgive people for for not re- not knowing as much about that era as I do because I was there and they weren't. Okay, so there's only so much I could beat up somebody about that. But now this time we're talking back to 2007, 2008, 2006, and when you blew the housing market up, and because of rates and other reasons, because people were buying houses and they're flipping whatever. The money coming from Japan, whatever it was, when you allowed that to happen from the from the point of the Fed, then you have to turn around and fix it. What you did is you enslaved people in their homes, and you totally screwed up the economy for the next ten years because people could not move, they couldn't sell their house because the place they bought it, two thirty five is now one eighty five. They're underwater, or they can't go get a second mortgage even though the rates are coming down because the thing doesn't appraise out. You absolutely buried a generation. Or, or, or some generation of homeowners, and and that's a mistake. All that stuff, these I won't say it. Was it these gentlemen that run our place? They should remember that on the back of their hand, for God's sake. That's like yesterday's baseball game for an economist. It's it's right there. And now we've done it all again. We have all these people. We've run the, the housing prices versus income is probably forty to fifty percent worse than it was in two thousand and eight. And now we've got people in houses at 3% mortgage, and the mortgages are now 6 They are slaves in that home. And, and if, if you and your wife never lose your job and you've and you got an income you can afford, you're going to get a raise here and there, and that's great, you're fine. But anybody who isn't, I mean, Audrey was just on on Monday, you can't sell your home and move somewhere else because it, your mortgage is double if you get the house the same price. Right. I mean, these guys... The, the damage that they have caused by going down to 0%, not, not to mention the fact that you and I couldn't get any income for our clients for so how long. Right, yeah. yeah. It's been a challenging time, and we did find it. We, we've yeah. done, we, you know, we've been, uh, we've definitely been working working our butts off trying to find it, and we have found it in, in you know, areas like we talked, preferreds and, and you know, some of the um, REITs and some of the other names that we've discussed over the last couple of years, but but I, I totally agree with you, um, and I and it, it's interesting because we had Japan as a role model to see what happens when when um, rates, you know, uh, real rates go negative, and 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 also Germany, and we had these examples that were out in front of us, and I don't know where the the need came to you know to, to go into uh, negative territory on real rates, and I, I agree with you. I think that was overdone, and we had we're paying the consequences of that now. Uh, interesting that the housing market, you know, I, I keep seeing all these things about how it's a, it's a mess. It's sort of, it's interesting, right? Because I believe we're in a recession right now and the consequences of the recession are going to play themselves out over, over time. Whereas I'm hearing quite a bit in the media that, that the housing market is in a recession, but, but we haven't hit one, right? <laughs> you know, so, yeah. and I'm wondering what there's, what they're saying. I think the housing recession, if you will, the, the, the the repricing in housing or the decline in housing values 
will continue to be a lagging indicator and isn't necessarily going to be showing up uh, today. It's going to be showing up months down the road, year, years down the road, um, once we see just how far, um, you know, the, the economy, you know, kind of sells off or slows down, um, which is really what, what's happening right now. There is a slowdown, there's a contraction, and housing tends to lag. So the, the negative effects of housing are going to impact those people who own homes, <clears throat> especially later. And I agree with you now, it's more of the people who are trying to get in, uh, either the first-time home buyers or those people selling and relocating. So it, I think it's going to stop a lot of the activity or slow down a lot of the activity. Um, but but it, but generally, and I think in this case, too, the actual, you know, the worst scenario for housing is going to be, is, is ahead of us. I think it's only going to be, um, it's going to be in this phase where we're predicting it to happen, but it won't, you know, fully happen until, until uh we go through the economic downturn, you know, the continued recession and the economic downturn, um, and rates go higher, continue well, to go higher. Well, Dan, you, so, you have, uh, I mean, you mentioned that uh, you were able, always able to get some return for people, and I, by the way, that that's absolutely true, but you bust your fanny finding places that are still paying that maybe are graded a little bit worse than they ought to be, because, by the way, they're still making money every day, and, and you've done that, but you've got... Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you love to have 1% of the population as your client? I mean, the market's down 20% from the high, and we're down, you know, even for the people who want us to be, you know, make sure we stayed out of the way on the upside, so we haven't done as well as I would have liked. We're probably down six, you know, or something, maybe six and a half. It's still down. It still sucks, but it's way, you know, it's, but if everybody would have, you know, wanted to do it the, my way, where I sold the, you know, the calls close enough to the, to the, to the where I would have gotten more money for them, but that's not what everybody wanted. Everybody wanted this, this upside to go. So, but say, let's put it this way: you and I did better than pretty much everybody else. I'd love to right. have one percent of the, but for the every every man who doesn't even know that you and I exist, for him to have gone to the bank for the last twelve years and get zero on his savings, yeah. e- even if it was two percent or one and a half percent, what would that money? What would that amount to after ten or twelve years? Billions yeah, and you, billions of that's dollars. Where you, that's really where you're not. That's where you're not getting paid, as you're saying, and we really would have missed out. And you know, the opportunity cost, uh, I think, is really severe. That is where, and that I totally agree. You know, you, we're, we're talking about we're in an environment now where inflation, you know, the the uh, the two year is still about half the rate of inflation, current rate of inflation. Um, that's going to change, though, and we know that's going to change. Um, we, we think, you know, I see both shorter rates going higher as well as longer rates coming in. Um, I mean, yeah, longer rates coming down. And and I think we're, you know, we are going to be paid uh, income. We're going to continue to receive more income as time time goes on. But for those investors who think, and I know I have a few clients who are in this camp, who think that this is the time to be buying your, your risky assets because they've sold off, I would say no. This is absolutely not the time to be stepping into any type of risky investment. It just isn't the the high data uh, play is not the, where the place to be right now. So it's, it's, you know, the company might have good fundamentals. We have a couple of micro caps that have positive free cash flow that we know are going to weather the downturn and, and you know, they're going to come out fine. But it doesn't mean that the stock price is going to um, advance on on that factor and on, on that on that, because the focus is going to be away from riskier investments 
and more and more so as time goes on. So as we start getting uh, reads, you know, from our economic numbers that are coming out in the future that are negative, people are going to move more and more, more away from stocks. As we start getting higher in, higher rates on the short term, more and more people are going to move to that flight to quality. As we start getting higher rates on the longer end of the Treasury curve, again, more and more room to, uh, to, to flight to quality. And if nothing else, it's going to at least be a shift. You know, I don't know, you know depending on the, the investor or the, or the manager, uh, maybe 10%. Um, you know, we're going higher than 10% because we really believe in this, you know, that the income is... Um, it's starting to become um, very attractive, and and we're also believing that the risk on the other side is, is becoming um, too high. Well, I, I would agree. I, the only thing that, it, well, t- first of all, you're not invi- you're not advising the. Uh, I should have mentioned this earlier. You're not advising the uh, Turkish dictator area that he's cutting inflation, cutting <laughs> rates. Yeah, is right, it, so is there inflation <laughs> is, is exceeding eighty percent? But I, but Dan, I, I I just I don't know. I, I'm, I'm used to talking to. Guys like you, guys like Lou, guys like Brennan. I, if I were to give a test to the Federal Reserve, like like if I was back in school and say, "All right, you see, here's here's a piece, piece of paper. You're gonna you're gonna have this interest rate policy that's gonna cause median housing prices to make it to four sixteen. Then you're gonna reverse policy, and when the median housing price two years later is now gonna be, let's be charitable and say three seventy five. What? What is the causes of that? Work it through the entire economy, stock and flow. You think any one of these people, if if they if they knew how to to answer that question on an exam, they would never have done what they did, because if that happens, or or God help, we get down to like three twenty five or something, then the carnage that's going to hit this economy, you and I can't save them <laughs> as much as they right. should be with us. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing? We just we just stripped the entire equity out of. How many home buyers in the last two years? Right. No, absolutely. And that, I think that cushion is the reason that a fair number of, you know, uh, people our age, you know, baby boomer generation, um, retired young when we went through this period of the great resignation. And they're thinking, okay, we have a, a fair amount of money in our 401ks and our retirement accounts that's grown a lot over the last decade. We have a huge amount of equity in our home that's grown a lot over the last decade. But you're right. If that reverses, now all of a sudden you're retired and you're saying, "Oh, you know," and, and you know, prices ha- are going to have to come down um, in order for them to be able to to live, you know, with a lower amount of uh, you know their nest egg, if you will. Uh, so it's yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens. I think it's going to also the same issue is going to happen on the end of you know the millennial age or the younger people coming into the market who have a huge amount of choice. And could kind of name their you know hour that hours that they wanted to spend each week working, and they're going to be faced with the same situation because they're going to be finding it very difficult to you know to stay in a job that's going to give them the kind of flexibility they've grown accustomed to, and you know with the move towards going back in the office and and with their with the potential you know cutting of jobs across a lot of sectors, including technology. Um, it's going to create an environment that's quite different than the one we're in right now, and or it already is creating an environment that's quite different. And I think as time goes on, there's going to have to be a readjustment. And I was happy to hear, you know, that said Powell mentioned the disconnect in, in labor. You know, we've been talking about this for the last year. Um, I'm glad he mentioned that. I guess, you know, to me, I gain a little confidence in knowing that they finally realize what's what's going on. 
But at this point, um, I think we're going to be looking at the next couple of Fed meetings to decide how much is going to happen. And what they told us really clearly is that um, based on the you know the inflation numbers, the CPI report, PPI report, you know uh, consumer spending, um, they're going to be making decisions. So it may be that you know we only get fifty in November and December, but. I still think we're running ahead of the game a little bit at this point, um, and we, you know, the better uh, to me it seems like the better thing would be to take the, do the smaller hikes and just sort of see, you know, slow down on the hikes and see see what's going to happen in the future. Um, because you're right, the carnage and the true, you know, the difficult positions always lag the stock market. I mean, the stock market responds first. The stock market's already taken a hit. Then the economy takes the hit, and then housing. It, you know, and it, well, so we know that there's going to be, uh, you know, some price, uh, you know, repricing in the housing market, and with higher rates, it's really, you know, I mean, there's people that are, I don't know what they're saying now that it's already come to a standstill. I don't, I don't think it has it right now, but I think it will come to a standstill pretty soon, and it, it's just going to tighten. You know, people are going to have to tighten their belts. Well, Dan, the, uh, the, um, the the total. I don't know. I'm being a little, a little harsh here this morning, but only because. You know, people are getting hurt here, so I guess I can be a more harsh. I I have uh, some buddies from the Fed. Of course, I haven't seen them. Well, it's all one guy since COVID because they don't go to work anymore. A uh, little slam there. Uh, but if you years ago, I would say, "What are you guys talking about with your inflation number?" And they said, "Well, here's the story. It's not our inflation number. It's the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's the number we work with, and we also use this." PCE, and I, I challenge you, because even Carl can't find it, I challenge you to find a detailed account of the PCE. I can't find it anywhere. At least the CPI, you, you can find every little you know, line if you yeah, want to. You I know mean, it's in it. Right? Oh, God, you can know it down to the white rice versus brown rice, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, so they said, the last thing you do is open up a Fed meeting and spend the first hour and a half bitching about the CPI number. Because that's not yours. All you're doing is criticized in another area. And, and, and you know what, Dan? I get that. I've been in board meetings before, you know, not done for a while, but you, you don't do that. You know, first thing you do is when somebody lobs the, the budget up there, you don't rip apart the budget, you know, type of thing, because that's somebody else's job, right? I mean, it's just that's just Great. the way politics yeah. works. So, but now the man stood there for seven years saying there was no inflation when everybody with, with an ounce of brains knew there was. Everybody. So, they didn't do anything. They ran this, this thing down. They caused this problem. But I, I'd be damned if I'm going to listen to this guy for the next five years tell me that inflation's 10% when it's not because Volcker did that, and he almost buried the country. He, right. did, he did the exact, exact yeah. same no, thing. I, I, I absolutely agree. It's, it seems like the learning curve is, you know, they're kind of I mean, behind on, on, on the action, but I think they're also behind on the learning curve in the sense that very simple, like for guys like us who've been doing this forever, we know that stocks lead the economy, and we have had inflation in the stock market. I mean, yeah. for for quite some time, we know that housing is an important component of. Um, in fact, it's probably the largest pur- purchase or the largest uh, expense on an individual or a family's balance sheet on their on their but when they're doing their budget, the housing expenses are the, right at the top, not the gasoline, but the housing. So the and we know that. When the housing prices have run as much as they have, and they become, they come, you know, the affordability issue has been one that I've been talking about for a long time. We know that that's a concern. So there's, 
yeah, I mean, it, it, you can just, that, those to me seem like basic, you know, very, very simple and basic ways of looking at what's going on uh, in the economy and, and having, you know, being surprised about inflation, um, you know, understanding it, I think, makes it a lot easier to manage it, right? But, 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 but kind of becoming late to the table and even understanding it, it's like now I think the Fed is finally saying, you know, they understand this, this is what has happened. But it, 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 we are forward looking. You know, we are not back looking in, in, in our, in our business. And if we, you know, if they're using old data and, and just, you know, kind of coming along slowly with their, uh, it, it can potentially be a problem. I mean, this can potentially be worse if this, you know, if we continue on this trend. I do have a little more confidence because I know it's coming. So we, when we know yeah. it's coming, a lot easier to invest. Well, and, and we're, we can adjust accordingly, but well, we're duck dodging. Totally, you know, we're, yeah, I agree with you on. But you and I, you, I mean, you're you're, you're duck dodging and hiding, and, and which is what we should be doing right now. We're getting people. I mean, I got people last Monday's auction. I think we got three eight nine or eight eight or something for the for the for the uh, uh, six months. Okay. Yeah. Today, exactly today it's that. today it's four point four. Now, if if it was a a thirty year bond, I just put somebody in. I go, oh my god, what did I, what did I just do to the guy? You know, but for six months, you know, it's okay. And in two weeks, we can sell it for what we bought it for if we want to buy a stack or something, and, and exactly. we're okay. But That's but the but you and I are we're still not actually going out and saying, hey, we're just we're just going to get like ten percent from a good company because by the way eight percent is inflation two percent interest equals ten and then you and I open up a cigar and sit out on the do- on the dock I mean we're we're still not there right we aren't yeah I agree I mean I it, would, agree. it would be nice I come down um, and hang around on your yacht totally agree I, I, I think you know high yield is you know I mentioned this the other day and I'll say it again I think high yield is is um, looking a lot more attractive now you just again if you have to be company specific um, or bond specific or stock specific, if you will. Um, you have to look at the, you know, and do, which is what we do and do the homework on these names to see which ones have, you know, little or no, um, default risk and the ones that have, uh, you know, improving or, or at least stable, um, interest coverage ratios. I mean, companies that are going to make it through the, you know, uh, yeah. the continued increases in, in rates. So, um, this is a good. This is a good environment. Environment for looking at high yield. Well, it's a good environment if you have people helping you out, Dan. Not so much if you're going alone. Just saying. yeah, All right. yeah. No, absolutely. All right, buddy. Take care of yourself. Hey, it was great having you on two times yep. this week. If you want to, you should you should have turned the radio on, or I've been turning the thing on. We're gonna have somebody tell us what what uh, teams to bet on this weekend, which is easy money. Easy money. We'll be right, money. <laughs> we'll be right back, stacks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading 
ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know, all while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with their choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, welcome back, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Ohio. He's Mr. Miller on the board. SP Futures. We have a very nervous morning here. We were down last night after the big sell-off. Then we were up this morning, and then we went down, and now we're back to you know, roughly even. SP Futures are down 50 cents. Nasdaq Futures down 25. Dow Futures are actually up 68. We've got most most, most stocks in the Dow are green. Uh, the most green being uh, Salesforce up 377. Uh, we've got CVX up 140. The Caterpillar up 106. So the Dow stocks are actually bouncing here a little bit this morning. Uh, Costco, which is not a Dow stock, but it's up 174. So uh, those are up. NASDAQ stocks, um, not so much. We had Apple was up all day long yesterday, and then we buried on the close. Uh, NVIDIA, <coughs> which is somewhat of a favorite stock with a lot of people I have, was up 750 and closed down. It's up 750 and closed down and uh, run off on the close. It was bad. Uh, Europe, uh, DAX down 74.6%, uh, FTSE down 12.2%. Check around down 46.8%, so down but not huge over in Europe. Asia, Nikkei down 159, that's 0.6%. Shanghai down 8.3%. Uh, this is the one that is, is worrying, I mean, I don't know if I can do about it, worrying the hell out of me. This Hang Seng down another 296, 1.6%, 18,147. Like every day, this thing's down over 1%. Uh, yesterday, just as a review, most of this came in the last 45 minutes, if not all of it. Uh, Dow Jones down 522, SP down 66. NASDAQ down 204. That's pushing 1.7 and 1.8% every one of the averages. Uh, again, not good. Bonds up uh, 5 basis points now, 3.57. The bond down 1, 1.88. Japan unchanged at 0.25. Uh, oil up buck 32. That's why we're seeing Chevron Texco up. Uh, 84.26. Brent up 133.91.16, but still kind of in this 82 to 87 range. It really hasn't broke out for a while. Natural gas down 13 cents, 764, down from over nine bucks, maybe two weeks ago. Arabob up four cents, 253. 
We've had gold up 640, 1682. Very unusual day yesterday because gold was up and the dollar was up. Don't normally see that. Silver up 22 cents, 1970. It was down in the low 18, 18 buckers. I'm going to say Monday. So silver's had a big rally this week. Uh, copper up three cents, 3.49. Way way bigger than gold, by the way. Uh, crypto up 50 bucks, 19,192. Nobody's comfortable seeing this under 20,000. But this Ethereum, Maddie probably knows more about this than me, but down $29, down 2%. They went through some massive uh, change in their software or something, or how the thing gets counted. They've had nothing but go down ever since. I don't know what that's all about. We have to get an expert in one of these days. Uh, and we also have the U.S. dollar. Uh, it's actually Donald this morning, but still, the euro is under 99 cents per dollar. That's real low. Matty, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. Still working on that crash on the outbound Stevenson. That's I-55 southbound just before Weber Road, exit 263. That crash is blocking the two left lanes and is causing all kinds of issues in the Bolingbrook area, southwestern suburbs, in both directions because you have gaper traffic on the northbound side. No issues uh, on the Ryan I-57 or the Bishop Ford, just normal traffic volumes coming in from the south side. Uh, traffic getting heavy on I-290. Same for the Edens and Kennedy. We're uh, about an hour now from O'Hare into downtown. Off the expressways, we have a crash North Avenue at Grace Street. And then west of there, there's a crash on North Avenue at Route 59. And then just north of that, Stearns Road at Munger Road, there's a crash. So a few crashes out in the western suburbs. Weather today, temperatures dropped out there, folks. Uh, we're no longer in the 80s, at least not for the next uh, few days. A high of just 63 today. Lots of sunshine, but much cooler. Right now, it's crystal clear and 56 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy skies with a high of 95. Right now, it's clear and 95. So we're sticking right there in the mid-90s. In sports, White Sox are basically done, Chief. They were blown out last night by Cleveland 8-2. Sox are now six games back of the Guardians with 13 to play. So White Sox basically have to win 13 in a row here, I would say. And even then, they might not get in. Cubs beat the Marlins 4-3. Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers 6-1. Thursday night football tonight on Amazon Prime. Steelers at the Browns. That's a 7.15 p.m. Central Time kickoff. And in college football, Illinois is in action tonight. The 2-1 Illini host Chattanooga down in Champaign. That game kicks off on Big Ten Network at 7.30. Chief. The, uh, we have uh, two guys here this morning, don't we? Maddie? Yeah, we have Colin Levesque, our, our handicapping guru, who is back. Uh, he's been with us uh, for several years now, uh, coming on and giving some uh, NFL and college football picks. And then, of course, we have John Flanagan on as well, as we do every Thursday. Who's sitting there with his bookie's phone number and his pen, waiting for the picks. <laughs> Colin, how are you, buddy? <laughs> haven't talked in a while. How are you? Good morning. I'm um, good morning, Chief. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Great to be back. I'm, great I'm, to be back, guys. Uh, yeah. Good morning, John. Good morning, Maddie. I miss um, you. This it's like, it feels like yesterday, only it was before COVID. I know. I was going to say it's great to be back to be actually talking about real football games and not trying to handicap them and figuring out who's going to be in the lineup, who's not going to be in the lineup, uh, as we did a couple years ago. We went through that whole fiasco. It's good to just get back to to straight handicapping games again and Chief. I was listening to you and Kevin yesterday talking about um, college football playoffs, and then also heard you talking about pitching for Stocks and Jacks softball. Uh, I got to say, I got to make a comment on that. You were automatic back in the day when I was on the team. I want to say 2012, 2013, uh, against the spread, you were automatic. And, uh, well, thank you. I, I know those, those days have passed, but we had, quite, we had quite the squad that one year. I had a cup of coffee with Stocks and Jacks. 
softball. We like we had a great squad. You got to be <laughs> steady. You got to be constant. It's just you got to be. You know, that's what is it? Uh, what did my uncle used to say? A, a lack of uh, lack of consistency is a greater barrier to success than a lack of talent. There you go. That, that, that's, that's it. You got it. So what's up? What do you what do you got going? Are are you uh, what's what what's what's the pulse of the world these days? Are are we betting games? Are we betting the the the, we, the odds? Are we betting the the, the spr- I mean the over under. I mean all all that stuff. Yeah. All of the above. We're we're betting all of it, Chief. And if you look at uh, not to get too into this, but the revenue for sports betting in Illinois in twenty twenty two has been tremendous. Um, you have a, a, a plethora of different sports books in Illinois at this point. Uh, games, props, really whatever you want. Um, there's there's so many sports books in Illinois now too. If you shop around, it's just like Vegas at this point. If you shop around, you can get uh, a good number on maybe one game that you couldn't get back when it was just one sports book, or like you said, going through your uh, your local bookie Polly, who, who would juice. Uh, a Bears line, right? If, oh, yeah. uh, if he if he if he took the local number, everyone's betting on the Bears. That line gets inflated. So, a lot of different options, uh, and I think it's great. I think that eventually here we're going to see all these states eventually become legalized. California is working on it right now, and I think once California gets legalized sports betting, you'd be foolish not to have all these states because you're you're you know that's taxable revenue. Um, that's just going to be a trillion-dollar industry in the next couple of years. Colin, one one day we have a little, maybe a little extra time. Not today because we want to get some good bets. Can you work us through sure. exactly? I'm not all that convinced that there's that much money here for the states. I mean, you, can you walk that through one of these days? I, I think they're overreaching, just like a casino. We're, they're not getting part of my blackjack bet. I mean, I, I mean, but let's let's take that for another time. He does make yeah, a good absolutely. point though with the options because uh, it's becoming a, quite a trend now where guys will download all five sportsbook apps in Illinois, um, five off the top of my head. There might even be more than that now. I know there's Rivers, MGM, Barstool, uh, FanDuel, DraftKings, and I might be missing one, but let's say it's five, and they'll, they'll pull up all five of them and see if they can get a half a point or a point here or, or some, you know, some, uh, some, some odds uh, on a given game because uh, you know, why wouldn't you make the best bet that you can? Well, do, you ever, <laughs> do you ever get enough divergence where you could actually middle it during the week? Uh, absolutely. And if you get, Chief, if you get early in on a Monday or Tuesday and you get an opener um, on a particular book and then by Saturday or Sunday that line moves uh, a certain amount of points, absolutely, you look for that middle and that happens all the time. So, have you ever scored a middle? I I, I never have. I've, I've tried a couple times. Uh, uh, Maddie and I for for college basketball, middling is real popular. Okay. Especially if you get an underdog for a game line, and then at halftime you get an adjusted game line, and you take the other side. So, well, that might, that's got to be fun. What? So, what this it week is? Is, right. is there a good one this week that you get your eye on? There, there's a there's a couple there's a couple cheap. First, uh, I'd start tonight, and I'll run through these quickly because I know we're limited on time, but. Um, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers going to the Cleveland Browns tonight as a four-point underdog. Um, not a very sexy game, and I heard your comment yesterday, Chief, about Amazon uh, streaming, and that it's uh, it's been a controversial topic at this point. But uh, with this situation here, is Mike Tomlin as an underdog, especially in a divisional game, you really have to kind of hold your nose and take the Steelers here. I'm not super thrilled about taking Mitchell Trubisky uh, on the road. But I'm also not super thrilled about anyone on the Browns at this point. If you saw their collapse last week against the Jets, they were up 30 to 17 with a minute and 40 to go, and they lost. Well, 
So we'll take Mike Tomlin tonight as a as a as an underdog. Uh, Tomlin, not not very good as a favorite, but as an underdog in his career, he's uh, tremendous. Uh, almost at uh, a sixty six percent clip, and as a divisional underdog, he's almost at eighty percent against the spread. So we'll take the Steelers tonight, and then Chiefs. You know, we talked about, or I know you've talked about the Irish struggles so far this year, but they have a big game coming up uh, down in Chapel Hill in North Carolina on Saturday. You know, obviously they're still struggling offensively. We saw last week with uh, Tommy Reese just blowing up at Drew Pine up in the press box. But if there's ever a spot for the Irish to score some points offensively, it would be against this UNC defense. Um, UNC's defense is really struggled. They're a good team. They're 3-0. They're a prolific offensive team, but they have given up a, a, a ton of yardage and a ton of points so far this season. They gave up 40 points to Appalachian State in the fourth quarter a couple really? weeks ago and still pulled out a win. So I'm going to go over the total here of 55 for the Irish uh, and North Carolina. North Carolina, again, is prolific offense, but I, I expect that uh, Notre Dame can get on track here and score some points. Uh, and then two more for the NFL Chiefs real quick. I'd like to look at um, really the, 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 the Bills here. are. This might seem like a little bit of a square bet, but the Bills are a six-point favorite going down to Miami this week. A uh, little background on the Bills. So they are turning into somewhat of a juggernaut here. Their last 22 wins have been by double digits or more. Um, and this actually poses a problem for the sports folks. So for example, on Monday night, they were a 10-point favorite at home against the Titans, and they were up 41-9 to in the third quarter. So they may be getting to a point here where the books, uh, they might be getting into that 07 New England Patriots range where the books have to start setting these lines really, really high. We'll see. This is a, could be a tough game for them in Miami, but as a six-point favorite, uh, the Bills should have beat the Rams by about 35 points in week one, the former Super Bowl champions. And as I mentioned, they routed the Titans last week. So this is a really – this could be a juggernaut of a team right now. And um, I'm just going to take the six points with the Bills. That sounds – that makes sense, my actually. Last bet, my last bet, Chiefs, uh, best bet of the weekend, I'm going to take the 49ers uh, as a, on the money line, minus 120 against the Denver Broncos. Uh, the, the books made a mistake on this one. They opened up the Broncos minus two and a half. The line quickly flipped to the 49ers minus one. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is back at the 49ers, and he's made a huge difference for them. Uh, 35 and 15 with him, and something like six and 27 without him, or seven and 27 without him uh, under Kyle Shanahan. So, look for the 49ers um, really to take it to the Denver Broncos and their new coach Nathaniel Hackett, who looks like he has no idea what he's doing. And I think Maddie and I can do a better job coaching the Broncos. All right, point. so you got to put up you got to put up 120 to get 100, right? That's correct. You got it. Right. And, uh, Chief, I'll post my picks on Twitter and uh, share them with the Stocks and Jocks page. But great to be back. Hey, great Thanks to great, great to hear your again. voice, bud. And, by the way, yeah, care, uh, you can get uh, four and a half on the Steelers, too. So you can, you can get a hook uh, tonight as well. That line, depending on what book you use, you can get plus four or plus four and a half uh, if you're going with the Steelers tonight. I want the four and a half. I, I do, too. All right. Thanks, Colin, Colin. Thank you. Mike Tomlin. Jan, did, you so, Jan, hang up with your bookie and come back here and talk to us. I'm fully armed now, Tom, for the weekend. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I like the Irish in the over, actually. Of course, I, yeah. the, I mean, right now their offense is abysmal, but but still. It would have to take a really bad defense for them to all of a sudden score a bunch of points, but maybe North Carolina is. But our buddy Dave was saying that uh, North Carolina's got a, they got a few transfers on defense. They might not be as bad. 
but uh, who knows? So what? What did you? Uh, you would listen in on all the discussion and the the Fed stuff yesterday and the huge sell-off yesterday afternoon. And what is a, what does a regular person make of all this? Well, I think it's like what what Dan said, you know, a few minutes ago that um, if if this continues to be these you know lead-ups to what could be you know point five or whatever rise every time the Fed gets together, we're we're looking at serious you know collapse. And you know, long-term housing problems are going to take years I and years I'm to recover. With from. You. An incremental approach might be better, just to experiment, as Dan said. Well, what I was thinking, Tom, listening to you and Dan talking, and when you were talking about what happened, you know, in 2006, 2008, with with housing, and how people had, you know, were enslaved to their homes. Now, what's different? And I'd like your thoughts on this too. What, what was driving the, the price rises then was, you know, what, sort of a whole galaxy of things, whether it was lax underwriting, lax appraisals, easy money. Easy money, uh, sure. And, you know, that, of course, you know, in some places benefited from that, you know, intersection more than others. Chicago never really went quite as off the map as other places, but it did rise. But now what you have driving it, and I kind of get this impression from listening to Nancy and Audrey both, that you've got institutional investors who come up with cash offers, and you know, to them the money is hardly an issue, whereas it is for somebody who's saved money to buy a house and live in it. But an institutional investor has cash up the wazoo, and if you can outbid you know, everybody at the table who's not an institutional investor, then now you're going to have a culture that's where people are enslaved to their landlords, and they're going to have fewer and fewer home owners, which clearly seems to be the goal of all this. To suppress home ownership, that wasn't happening back in 2006. Well, it's but funny we go through this. Is, I think a big factor now that we get we got to you know think about what that has arisen from and where it's headed because that's much worse. <laughs> well, I, I think John is the smartest. I mean, obviously, uh, if 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 the world is steady, which it never is, and I, I wish I wish you could go back and uh, I mean, how you, how you can ever do this? I mean, I mentioned the other day I would give the Fed since well since you and I were even doing any of this stuff uh, well we weren't since 1968 I don't think you and I necessarily remember coming off the the, the gold standard but I think we're, we're happily ensconced in what junior or high school or, or something yep. um, but really since then if you were to lay I mean I don't I don't know how to do this with graphs and stuff too well but some people can if you were to drop you know 50-year graphs, really, on top of Fed activities, the stock market, the economy, you'll find that virtually everything has been led or either to the up or to down one way or the other by the Feds going too far one way and then reacting back the other way. And if, I mean, if you, I mean, I, Milton Friedman said you're way better off just targeting your money supply growth at 3%. And if you're going through a very a time when you're growing faster than that, you nudge it up a little or whatever. But he said, you know, you, this idea of, of timing it and pushing it and back and forth, he goes, you, you can't, nobody's smart enough to do it. The lag times are too too far in advance. And you just you just can't do it. And, and, and these guys have proved it. I mean, right now, I mean, I, I listen, I mean, you maybe do too, to, to, the, to the bleeding bleeding heads of the talking heads or the bleeding mouths of the talking heads and and all they do is they're ragging back and forth about this 3%. Oh, man, these guys are moving too fast. They're doing this. 
that's eh, it's a neutral number. If we weren't in a non-neutral number for for five years now or whatever, right. it wouldn't be a problem. That's right, exactly right, Tom. And uh, but the problem is, we it's it's not it's not somebody getting a six percent mortgage today. It's that somebody eight months ago got a three percent mortgage and was able to pay way more for the house than the guy getting the six percent mortgage is today. If that hadn't happened and we had equilibrium, who'd care? We'd be right where we're supposed to be. That's right, and you know, I mean that that kind of situation, you know, would, would indicate a total collapse of housing prices. I, how do you see it any other way? I mean, honestly, I mean, I know I've been touting this. How do you see it any other way right now? Yeah, well, but you know, then you've got, you know, the, the what about the, the factor of an institutional a, a consortium of international of, of institutional investors who are oblivious to this. I mean, they're the ones probably in control of much more than just housing prices, as, as we can suspect at this point. But with, with this, I mean, I suspect property will continue to move with those, you know, buyers getting a bigger and bigger piece of the portfolio. Well, you know, it's and interesting you mentioned it, Janet. Like all of a sudden, the housing market will dry up because nobody has money to buy. But it's because there's there's tons of people now who see this as the way of the future, and they're buying up stuff that they have zero interest in living in. It's just in you know a part of their investment portfolio. I think that's a it's an incredibly tough game, Janet, and, and and they may find out. I I you know, I'm I'm certainly not in real estate. Oh, it's it's, it's a gamble, but but that's yeah. all these people seem to do, and and they've also tipped the scales in a way that they usually come out on top no matter what. Well, I was uh, as a matter of fact last night when. Um, anyway, nothing was happening. I ended up by meeting meeting somebody who's in that business. I should have rousted you to see if you were feeling better and met us at the Tripoli because this guy is in the uh, mortgage. Uh, you know, they they manage mortgages that maybe aren't paying and stuff, so they'll get like you know a thousand mortgages from some bank that they manage and stuff. And there's people in there that they try and get them to pay and do this and that. And there's all every state. I mean, you'd be fascinated because every state's so different. If you ask a question, they, the first thing they say is like, "What state?" You know, because like this guy's fluent in maybe state laws, and I'm going to say 20 to 22 states. I mean, nobody nobody can do all 50. I don't think you have to be a genius. Um, and they talk about their investors. If the people can't pay and you get them out, are looking for a number on average because you don't really get to inspect the place and everything of like 70 cents on a buck, which which means they can cover the normal kind of rehab you have to do and fix ups and cut the grass and all because there's going to be some lack of, of upkeep of some kind you know even if it's even if it's not you know brutal if it's, there's something you have to do before you sell it now guys that come in and just buy these places at like a regular price I, I actually had somebody who said hey can you do you know anybody do you know a guy they sent me a list of these houses John they were a couple of two pits and mostly houses all on the uh, I'm going to say east of the Dan Ryan and the south side some in real nice areas in Hyde Park, some in the nice areas right by the expressway, some in kind of crummy areas, some in really crummy areas. I'm going through this list of like a thousand houses. And I'm going, first of all, I'm not in a real estate business. <laughs> I don't know these places. I said, but I'd have to I'd have to get somebody like you and Audrey and a couple other people who knew what the hell they were doing and say, Okay, let's let's random sample, you know, like thirty of these places and go out and see what they look like. You know, some are meticulously maintained, others, you know, the weeds are to the roof. I mean, I don't even know what the hell we're buying. I mean it and what's the maintenance? And what if you bought these places? How many people would you have to have on staff to fix the toilet when it goes out a hundred thousand houses, or even to pick up the rent checks? For God's sake! I mean, 
what's the organization even need to be? I mean, I, you know, I I, I got to believe it's all it's all going to be in management when it's all over. Not oh, oh, sure, and of, of course, you know, if you've got this kind of money to begin with, building that into it, you know, a, a, a whole level of management people who you know collect the rents, who answer the phone or answer the email about what's broken or what needs to be fixed or what the neighbors are complaining about or who who knows. But I I think that that's there's money to be made there, but it takes a kind of you know start starting point that is hard for us maybe to conceive because we'd be driven crazy I and mean, we'd have to be hiring people every week and we'd still never be able to deal with what was going on if we had any vision of turning this into some kind of an empire but i think that there's a lot of people who've already planned this and they've been planning it for a while and they know just how this is going to play out and they know how to do it so that it's going to work for them in the long run and they'll be a controlling interest when it comes to urban development and well that, that that's the plan economic but development too so. But don't don't just because somebody's big and has a lot of money <laughs> doesn't doesn't make them a shrewd investor in an area that no, where no. they are. I mean, but, but they'll be able to take yeah. advantage of people who are now just looking for a place to squat in. Well, I mean, it's a roof over their heads, and there'll be more and more of those people who have n- nothing of their own anymore, or at least nothing to put into buying a house. So you've got a kind of a captive audience, I think. What, what if you had a, all by all by design, Tom? <laughs> but what if you had a guy who made? You know, hundred million dollars yesterday in, in the market by by selling a gazillion spoos at two o'clock. I don't know who that would be. Certainly not me. And I called you up and say, "Hey, John, I hear you're a real estate kind of guy. I want to I want to start buying like uh, downtown properties and make a fortune." What do you know about it? Well, well, nothing. But I got a lot of money. I mean, <laughs> I mean, every one of these things is is its own skill set. I mean, unless you're from the Harvard, remember the Harvard Business School? Their their story was if you could manage something, you could manage anything. I don't know how that worked out. But. Yeah, I don't know about this. Well, my vote. Yeah. But I, I do think that, you know, this, this kind of was it was directed earlier on, you know, in real estate and, you know, aggregating big properties, shopping centers, yep. office buildings, camp, you know, office campuses, um, big, big names, kind of like Sterling Bay and, you know, that sort of stuff on, on Chicago's north side now. But I think, I think that kind of, that's changed totally now because of, of employment patterns and the economy and COVID and everything else. I, I think now people are, are saying, well, there's, there's other retail opportunities here where we, we turn these things into just wholesale packages. And, you know, we get total control over a lot of other stuff, including, you know, a bigger seat as, you know, when it comes to aldermanic races and well, yeah. legislative. You know, well, John, how, how about this? Why don't we... We, we've got these people by the throat who live here. Why don't you and I? Uh, we only got we got Dasher. Why don't you and I maybe uh, email or text back and forth? And we could even do this over a beer. Uh, pick a two or three of the places. Like BlackRock, I know is involved, and maybe the two of us can do a little research and find out just what the hell it is they're buying. Who are they buying them from? You know, what stage are they paying retail? Are they paying wholesale? I mean, just to get some kind of an idea of what somebody's actually doing. I mean, I, yeah, you got to believe it's it's not just you know somebody is trying this out. It's being done all over the place. Yeah, and it's, I, you know, the altering urban real estate sales total. I would agree. Let's 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 kick it around a little bit on Monday. That's a very fascinating topic. SP futures up nine, as if up twelve. Maybe we could stay up here. We'll see. Virtually the whole whole screen is green, unlike yesterday. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. 
offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit hamzianalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.